Okie dokie. So, hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedians Podcast. I am your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with actor, writer and comedy genius. It's Graham Fellows. So, hey, Graham, thanks for chatting with me today. You're welcome, Paula. Um, it's been a long time coming, this, hasn't it? Because I've it seen has. you at various gigs of mine over the years and you've said, do you fancy coming to do my pod- podcast? And I've said, uh, yeah, but... Um, you're I've escaped a, until now. You're a busy man, Graham. You're a busy man. Well, I'm not busy now. I'm. Um, no, I finally I'm, got uh, you. I've got a resolution really this year, which is just to, uh, like Lorraine Bowen says in her song, uh, take time. Yes. Um, take time to uh, watch the fish and the. Um, not that there are any fish left. But, uh, <laughs> well, I, know, I love the fact the there's birds. a keyboard. I love the fact there's a keyboard as well in the background there. <laughs> Oh yeah, you'll yes, you can see me in my studio, which is an absolute mess. That's it. That, yeah, this year's going to be for tidying. Fantastic. I'm going to be tidying. I'm going to be selling old equipment on eBay, um, and um, just trying to get a sense of my life. Actually, mm. yeah, it sounds a bit profound, but um, yeah, I, I just kind of, I feel I'm I'm at a sort of, uh, I don't know if it's a crossroad or a T junction. Mm. I'm just taking stock. At the age of 63, I am sort of going to stand around and wait for my next move. There you go. It's the best thing to do, I think, isn't it? So let's start off by going back in time, back in time. Um, So what were you like as a kid? You know, what was was young Graham like? Were you quite, quite uh, outgoing? um, I was quite outgoing, um, but I was also inward looking. Um, very difficult to categorise me, Paula, as you'll find during this interview. <laughs> um, I what was that? I played uh, I played Santa Claus in the nativity play when I was five. <laughs> I was pulled along on a sled by two reindeer, uh, two girls. Um, could have been boys, but it was girls, and that's <laughs> I don't know if that means anything. But I was a, I was a kind of a. I suppose I was a sensitive child, but I was quite big for my age. So um, I remember I got um, demoted at the Cubs for bullying uh, a younger boy. Yeah. And um, they didn't kick me out. They just stripped me of my Sixer status. And that had a very, um, you know, powerful effect. It made me it made me feel powerless. I left the Cubs because I had no, you know, just... I was suddenly same level as as the uh, eight year olds, so I feel yeah, there's a bit of bitterness in my voice, isn't there? <laughs> um, I don't I don't even remember bullying this kid. I was just I think I maybe pushed him too hard in British Bulldogs, which we used to play. <laughs> we were all we all did that, don't we? Oh, you know, some kids are a little bit, you know, you've only got to talk to them and they well, they run away. It's, you know, I I all maybe it's because we went on a hike once. Um, some time before this, and I remember I saw a pack of sandwiches sitting on a rock. And I said to our Kayla, oh, someone's left the sandwiches. And not realising that there might be someone, belong to someone from the group. And she's, I, and this could be an indication that I'm a bit autistic, because I said, oh, someone's left the sandwiches. I wonder who's those could be. And she went, oh, yes, someone has. I, I don't know. Being sarcastic, I think. Anyway, I I took the sandwiches and I ate one. Well, <laughs> Kayla's back was turned, and then she turned her back 
uh, turned back to see I'd eaten a sandwich and was very angry because it was her. <laughs> it were her sandwiches. So maybe demoting me was actually revenge for the sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. It sounds that way, doesn't it? <laughs> So you know, moving forward. So, what was the dream at school? What, what did you What did you want to be? Was there any kind of grand plan? I mean, what the acting thing? Did that kind of come along a lot later? No, I I was into acting from the age of about uh, nine or ten. I went to a local drama group in Sheffield, where I grew up, the local church hall. Mainly, and this is slightly predictable, because there were some rather fit girls who <laughs> went to the um, group, and my friend. Peter Beecroft was going and he said, oh, you know, uh, Jane Wigmore, she goes, you know. So I went along and um, didn't get me anywhere with Jane Wigmore, but I sort of got into to acting. And I played Santa Claus, of course, many years before. That's a pretty good start. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I uh, and then I started acting in school plays. Um, I was in Hobson's Choice playing Albert Prosser. Eight, I've got small feet. <laughs> and then I was Billy Liar when I was that was my crowning achievement. That's when a I was big 16. role. It is a big role, yeah. Um in fact at a gig recently, one of my screenings of Father Earth, I bumped into David Elliott, who played my dad. And with no disrespect to David, but he did still look like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, nice bumping into people that you're at school with. It doesn't happen very often. Indeed, but indeed. Doing I'll... gigs. I do that occasionally. I see, you know. Someone from school gets in touch. Or I found out that someone from school has passed away. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's It'll the thing. It'll happen to you in a few years' time, Paula. Was oh. <laughs> it happening already? You never know. Not yet. Not yet. Um, so you went to drama school, anyway, in Manchester. Uh, yeah. So it was, obviously, it was obviously meant to be, you know, you had, you had grand plans on the acting front. It seemed a natural progression because, I, you know, I did such a lot of drama. I was... Also, by this time, at, uh, at a local um, amateur dramatic society. Mm. Um, but at the same time, interestingly enough, I was doing, I did the, the sound for one of the productions. And I had to make sound effects and uh, play them out on the reel-to-reel tape recorder. So, And I'd had a, an old reel-to-reel as a kid. So, you know, it's interesting that my sort of love for radio and things audio was started, you know, back then. But I went to drama school, uh, got into the Manchester Poly School of Theatre. Uh, the same year that Manchester University, Rick Mayle and Ben Elton and Aid Edmondson and all that lot were were um, starting their course. Yeah, yeah. And, and I actually applied for that course at university and they turned me down, but they said, apply next year. He said, they said, we've had so many good applicants this year. We just were full. Uh, but if I had got in, yeah. um, I would have been with that lot. But it's it's no disgrace. I mean, the um, Manchester Poly uh, was a great course, and um, I did a lot of. That's where I wrote Jill to John, mm. which will be your next question probably. Mm. I, I picked up a guitar and, and, and wrote the song. When I I used to muck about a lot. I, I, it was it was a you know, I don't know how much it taught me really drama school. I don't know how much they can teach you. It can give you an attitude, yeah, to to work. Um, which again, I didn't really adopt. We, we, you know, get there on time, that sort of thing. And I, I, I struggled to get up in the morning, and I still do actually. You ended up on Coronation Street with Gail Platt. So I mean, there was, you know, it was all worth it in the end. Well, that that came on the back of the record, I think. <laughs> um, some um, casting director with a sense of humour 
from Granada TV, whose name I believe was Ernie Core. It's a great name, isn't it? Ernie <laughs> Core. And he, he um put me up for a few things, but because I'd just been Jilted John, he want he thought it'd be great if I played the Jilted Man in um Coronation Street. That was the first time I was on, and that's the best performance. It's like a kitchen sink drama. Um it's like it's like Ken Loach directed it. Yes. The clip of it is on YouTube and it's just a couple of short scenes. But I think Gail looks ravishing. It looks you know, she just started going out with Brian. And I played this loser who was had been stood up. We'd both been stood up basically, and I approached her and said, uh, Oh, um, you've been stood up, have you? Mm, so have I. Yeah. Well, I'll be on the back row if you if you fancy watching the film with me. And she said, No, thank you. Anyway, I'm waiting for my friend. Oh, she had a lot of boyfriends in fairness, didn't she? So, uh, you know, you had a narrow escape. Well, I did. I, it was only a temporary escape, Paula, because, of course, a few years later, I, I was on the on Coronation Street for a full two months, again playing someone who fancied Gail. <laughs> um, and, I, and I kept quiet at the audition. I kept very quiet about my previous appearance because I thought they'd go, oh, well, can't have him, him on again. Um, and it worked, and I got the part, and... Uh, Helen Worth, who played the wonderful Gail, was very pleased to see me. She vaguely remembered me, I think. Um, yeah, and it was it was fun. Yeah. So, Jilted John. So, I mean, have you always written songs? I mean, for it to become, for you've kind of become known for your songwriting prowess, I suppose. Was songwriting always something natural? I mean, this is the nicest possible way, but was Jilted John kind of a happy accident? Yeah. I guess it was a happy accident. Well, becoming a hit, it was a happy accident. Mm. Um, I, I wrote the song at drama school on a, an old guitar and was really taking the mickey out of punk. Even though I was I was a part-time punk rocker, as I always say, to take my earring out at night. So I wasn't massively into punk, you know. Um, I I find it very limited as a, as a musical form. Mm. Um, I think there were some great punk records, you know, a lot of the Buzzcock stuff, uh, some of the Stranglers and Sex Pistols. Never massively on, on The Clash, to be honest. I preferred The Only Ones. Um, and quite liked uh, The Rich Kids. That was Glenn Matlock, wasn't it? Yeah, but, you know, punk I found quite limiting and limited. So, But the song just, we were lucky, yeah. It took mm. off, John Peel liked it, and uh, Radio 1 daytime DJs picked up on it, and... It was the right song for the right time. Summer of 78, smash it. You couldn't escape it. Yeah. Now, anyone I've spoken to and I've said I was talking to you, they've said, oh, Jilted John. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you know. So your your name is a lot more far-reaching. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people still remember me for that more than John Shuttleworth, which is fine. You know, um, it's good to be known for both. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I mean, you brought John back for an anniversary tour uh, a few years ago. That must have been nice, coming full circle. Do you come and see that? I didn't make it, unfortunately. I wish oh, I, okay. I, really, I wish I had, but obviously being in Dublin is a bit of a... <laughs> yeah, well, we, did, we didn't sadly make it over to, yeah. to Belfast or to Dublin. Um, it was, I mean, I lost a few, a bit of money on that tour, even though it, it was technically a success and mm. uh, we had quite a few full houses, but it was quite expensive to get a band together, yeah, rehearse, yeah. and just do a few gigs. But it was very fulfilling um, artistically to um, to have done that after 40 years, to get, I say, get the band back together. In fact, it was just me and uh, some new, well, they were the right age. 
who were in their late fifties, like myself at the time. But they weren't the original band because I, it was hard to get hold of them, really. And um, we had to rehearse in London, right? And that's where my band was. Mm. And but it was great fun, yeah. And, it, and it, I, I, I've done Rebellion in Blackpool a few times. I did it last summer, and that was probably the best one because we'd done it in two thousand sixteen, and it didn't quite nail it. You know, we were a bit tentative. Because you're up against these punk bands who do it all the time. And we were just trying to get our act together in a few days. But anyway, this year we absolutely nailed it. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again. But it's 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 really fun to be singing in my early 60s, to be prancing around stage, leaping around the stage, singing these songs that I wrote when I was 18. Yeah. It's really cathartic. Great. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we, so moving forward in time to another John, in my opinion, one of the greatest comedy characters, uh, creations of all time, John Shuttleworth. So let's talk about a little bit about John's creation. So where did he come from originally? Was he based on people sort of around you when you were younger or where um, did he come from? Well, there's um, there's two parts to that, really. One is I was listening to a lot of bad demos because I was trying to make it as a songwriter, mm. which ironically is what John Shuttleworth is still trying to do. Um, so they were very funny, these bad demos that were sent into record companies and music publishers. And and I just decided to emulate my own, to do my own spoof demo. So, you know, it was just one, one evening, I just recorded these silly songs and uh, I think one of them was uh, even on the guitar. I had John Shuttleworth playing the guitar, which is not an instrument he plays now. But And I sent it into a music publisher, and he, he picked up on it. But So that's the kind of reason for doing it. Mm. But the the inspiration for the character itself was, was, was partly based on those bad demo enthusiasts, as I call them, people that still presumably write to record companies, radio stations, sending a tape of themselves playing. And there's something very beautiful about the um about their positivity when the songs are they have got no hope of being recorded really. But I used to work behind the bar in a working men's club and so the character was based on those sort of northern chaps I used to serve at the Crooks working men's club in Sheffield. Uh, before that, I used to go to a mouse mouse shows, <laughs> and there were some weird middle-aged to elderly northern men mainly breeding mice, and 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 I think some of the the characteristics of some of those chaps must have fed into my consciousness. But how does anything come about? Mm. It it gradually coalesces, it develops. It took a long, long time to develop John Shuttles, really. I mean. Um, and it caught on quite quickly. I mean, I was doing gigs in 86, 87, supporting Jonathan Richmond, Dodgy, um, The Lemon Trees. Anyway, um, even Robert Plant um, at the Marquee, I, I was a sort of novelty support for him. So that was, you know, and but I got fed up of it and uh, I got a bit depressed because my mum died. So I mm. packed it all in for a year or two and then... Picked it up again in the early 90s when I met a... Uh, well, initially I met Tom O'Connor's son, Steve, and who, who um, encouraged me to start going to see gigs on the comedy circuit. So I went to watch people like John Hagley mm -hmm. and um, just pick up a few tips on how comic 
music could work on the comedy scene. And that was very useful. So I started doing the, the comedy circuit in London and met my agent, Richard Bucknell, who handed me his card, very formal. I'm Richard Bucknell. I manage comics. Give me a call when you're next in town. Uh, and I lived in London, so it was the following day. Yeah. And um, he gave me a very... Um, he took me for lunch, he, and it was a, a very low-grade sandwich um, and, a, and a cheap drink. And I thought, I like this man's style. <laughs> and it turned out he was from Yorkshire, just like myself. <laughs> Those northern sensibilities. <laughs> yeah, and Rich, Richard uh, Bucknell, bless him, he, you know, he was a... He's a great agent. He's not one of the most famous agents, but he's so tenacious. And he used to manage Sean Hughes, who sadly passed mm. away, um, and um, a, a, a few other comics. He, he's and I've been with him now for over thirty years, and he's probably the main reason that I'm still going because um, when I've sort of said, oh, "I can't be bothered," he said, "No, come on, <laughs> let's put him for a radio series. Give us another idea for a, a show." and and then something pulls me back, and or I'll get an idea for a, for a song, and then I think I can't I can't put John down. But but as I said, Paula, this year I am planning to give myself and, and my my fans a bit of a rest, and just see what comes up. I'm going up to Orkney hopefully to record an album in my recording studio that I've got up there. So we'll see what comes from that. Yeah. But I'm sure John will be back. I hope I, I very much hope so. Um, so, where did his look come from? Was it did that come from the the, the same kind of you know with the polar neck and the the slacks and the jacket? Was that just you kind of pieced it together? Yeah, I mean, at the time, uh, charity shops were very uh, cheap. They're quite pricey now, aren't mm. they? Um, but I remember, I think there were some old boys sort of still walking around in those leather jackets and polar neck sweaters, which is really a kind of 70s look that is quite trendy now isn't it if you're a young man a, um but or it's even a late 60s look actually i was watching um what's that one smashing time have you seen that amazing film set in london george melly wrote the script rita tushingham lynn redgrave brilliant film but anyway there's a couple of characters who, who seem to dress like john but they're really groovy you know <laughs> um, so it was just what I could get at charity shops, really. The, the fawn slacks, I seem to remember blokes wearing those at the time. So, yeah, it all came together and um, I started getting a few photo sessions done. Yeah, he's got a very individual look. What well, he has, hasn't he? Um, it has been copied a little bit mm. occasionally here and there. I think someone in extras um, took the look. But again, you know, I can't say that they did because that yeah. look was yeah. from the seventies as well. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's always fascinated me is John's songwriting process. I mean, my my favourites over the years are "Pigeons in Flight," obviously the anthem. That's "Pigeons in Flight." Incident on Snake Pass, which I used to love when you did that live with the with the the rattlesnake on the. Oh. Uh, and "Man Who Lives on the M62," you know, such absolute classics. What's your? Do you have a process? for writing John's songs? Well, sometimes it's I write a song for myself hmm. and then I give it to John. <laughs> Which is, might confuse some people, but because I'm... At the time I created John, I was also trying to become a singer-songwriter, um, not just be known for, for Jilted John, but actually be known as Graham Fellows. Hmm. So I had this in, indie album out called Love at the Hacienda, which... 
got me a publishing deal and I had a few gigs and there was quite a bit of interest. Uh, I did a few gigs, but as soon as I created John Shulworth, my music publisher said, oh, you know, they, they could see that that had a more of a commercial uh, edge to it. So they encouraged me to to work more on the John stuff. And I put all my Graham Fellow stuff on the back burner. Mm. So songs like The Man Who Lives on the M62 is very like a Graham Fellow song. It, uh, uh, you know, because the John the John songs originally were all like Pigeons in Flight or My Wife Died in 1970, Peacefully in Her Sleep, Slightly Bad Taste, you know, um, and, and Naff. But I realised that John needed a lot of material, so a lot of my existing songs uh, or stuff I came up with that I hadn't earmarked for John, I had to give to him and maybe just tweak it a bit to make it sh- more Shuttleworth. And I still do that, really, but occasionally I've written songs for Brian Appleton and given them mm. to John. Or, you know, it's, it's, I mean, songs come to me in different ways. There is no definite process. Sometimes a little tune will come in. I put it, these days I put it down on my phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe a few words will come. I've been watching Get Back uh, for the second time. You know, brilliant, brilliant. Um, and I can't remember seeing Let It Be. I must have seen Let It Be, but... Have you seen Get Back? Yeah, the way he just he wrote Get Back, just literally sitting there, just, just I know, knocked it I out. I know it's like it's unbelievable. I mean, that is not how I write, but I kind of like it, and it's made me rethink about you know maybe have someone sat by with a notebook and as I'm, I mean, it, it, what it is actually shows a remarkable lack of ego, um, which I always thought Paul had a big ego, but I don't mm. think he has. Well, he certainly didn't back then because to be able to sit. While you're being filmed, yeah, and um, and come out with you know nonsensical lines or things that aren't very good, you know the the, the, the sort of the risk of ridicule is quite high, um, but I guess he's super confident and um, yeah, it's 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 great that just come in with a tune and a few words, throw it around and then it just coalesces again into something that's right. It's brilliant, yeah, very inspiring that that series. Yeah, incredible. I mean, I also love all the, you know, the, the, John has this huge backstory. He's got a proper backstory going on. You know, he obviously got Mary, Darren and Karen, Kirsty, the the, the, the the dog, Joan Chitty, Ken Worthington. I mean, you know. You, You've you, forgotten Alan, Alan the Opera Singer. And Alan, obviously. And, uh, made and an Peter Cornelius. And Peter, yes. Uh, yeah, he's a character I want to develop, um, and I will uh, once I have a bit of time. When I've done all my tidying, I'm going to work on Peter because um, I, I think there's some potential for him with the ukulele songs, you know, slightly cheeky, slightly cheeky songs. But I love the whole, you know, uh, Ken thinking he was retiring, he was retiring to this old old retirement home, and it was <laughs> it wasn't. Yes, I, well, I know it's the most ridiculous plot, isn't it? Um, it's funny; it's so ridiculous. My producer at first sort of said, "Oh, I don't think that's going to work," but <laughs> I think it does. Um, it's stupid, yeah. But yeah. I played the I played his mum as well, you know. I did I mean, the old. You lady. do all the voices. I mean, I do. Were you like making a not thinking I'm going to make a rod for my own back doing <laughs> doing everybody's? Voices? It's a challenge, it, it, you know. Playing um, on a few early episodes of the shuttles, I did Karen as well. I, I played. Yes. Did the voice of Karen. Um, young girls are quite hard to do actually, but older women are much easier. Because they tend to have a bit more gravel in their voices, and and you can use um, very speed. 
So you record at a slower speed, and then when you play it back at normal speed, it it's gone higher. So that's what I do with Mary and and Joan Chitty, and and I did with uh, Peter's mother. I forgot was it Cynthia? I can't remember her name. Anyway, oh, it must must hurt the old folk doing Mary. I mean, Mary's got quite a. <laughs> quite no, it doesn't voice. because she. Well, it's just I can you know I would just go. <clears throat> I always have to go before I start recording. I go, mm, yeah, mm, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, you know, when you're recording, you should say, John, can you come for your tea, please? And then when you play it back a bit faster, John, can you come for your tea, please? So then it sounded like Mary. Yeah. I heard something once that you used to record in a wardrobe. Was that was that true? Is that true? It's true. It's true, Paula. What happened was I was doing a kids TV series uh, in the daytime and I was staying in a hotel room uh, just off the A1. Uh, luckily, it had triple glazing, so it was a good, quiet room. And uh, but it was quite a big room. And I didn't want any reverb, um, so I just put my recorder into the wardrobe, opened the doors, put um, blankets or duvets on each side to sort of deaden the sound, and I recorded a, a couple of episodes over a couple of weeks. Yeah, great fun that was. <laughs> So, I mean, how long does it take you? Obviously, doing all the different voices and the, you've got the sound effects and everything. How long, like the Christmas episode, for example, with uh, with Ken and the uh, the retirement home, how long does it take you to put an episode together? Um, probably about two weeks. Mm. Um, it can be slower, it can be faster, uh, but I think I just had two weeks before the deadline. Uh, and I usually do it in a few sort of, I'll do a kind of rough and then I'll know there's something wrong with it, usually plot-wise. Like the story doesn't move on, or and I send it to my producer Dawn Ellis, who essentially she's an editor. She just says, "Well, I don't really see what Mary's doing there at that point. Maybe you should have a bit with Mary and Joan, mm. you know." And then I'll go back and I'll work on that, and and then so there might be a couple of versions before I get to the the, the final version. I do it all all at home on my on my multi track. Uh, each each character has its own track. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, Joan, Joan it's hard Chitty. Work, though. Oh, Joan Chitty and advances on Joan. Oh, Joan's, Joan's a disgusting. dream. She's, she's easier. She's getting very predatory, isn't she? She is. I can't seem to control her. <laughs> her advances on John on the Christmas episode. I was like, Joan, leave him alone. He's happily married. Come, come to Blackpool with me. Come on, please. Yeah. I guess she, she must be based on sort of northern women that I've bumped into over the years or, you know, when I was a kid, you sort of, I just remember, like, yeah, women with quite scary presences and, and she's quite predatory, she? <laughs> Give it Hilda Baker, isn't it? <laughs> I'm even now remembering the animation, you know, the animation you did of the, the oh, Shuttleworths. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of seeing Ken in his, in his physical, you kind of have this oh. imagined, you know, what Ken looks like with his Cuban heels. And he's putting in his perm and stuff, and it's it's nice having that visualization. Is it, is it though? <laughs> I don't know, Paula. I don't know. I, I, I'm ambivalent about the whole cartoon things. I mean, I was encouraged. It was almost inevitable. Oh, we've got to see all the characters. But yeah, yeah, yeah. From a purist point of view, I like the fact that you don't ever see Ken. You don't know what he looks like, mm. uh, and you imagine. I mean, because I am essentially a radio man. Yeah, though, yeah. More- person so it, i was kind of i went along with the radio thing but it, my heart was never truly in it uh my heart was in things like it's nice up north i love yeah. doing that yeah 
and my recent film, Father Earth, that was a real labour of love. That That's killed me finishing that, but I had to do that. Um, and that's probably why I'm taking a year off, because just getting that to... I mean, I do admire filmmakers. It's God, it's it's unbelievable. You think radio is difficult, but making a film, well, single-handedly, I think that's the trick. Most people get a big team, don't they? Yeah. But I try and do everything on my own. You see. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's a killer. Yeah. I mean, do you have a preference? Obviously, you're you're very very radio oriented. Uh, so, I mean, do you have a preference between working doing radio or doing your stage stuff? You do it as John. I like the. The variety, because they're both very different disciplines. Mm. Uh, doing the radio is very lonely, and um, I suppose it's like writing a book or something. Um, yeah, it's because it, you're creating it. Doing a stage show is more just like physical stuff, really, and mental. You know, trying to keep it all together on stage. Um, so they're just different disciplines. So I think I like both. I like having both. Mm. That's the thing. At least you, you know you have that choice you can kind of if you get a, a little bit bored of radio not bored of radio <laughs> who gets bored of radio um but you know you can go out on well you obviously don't <laughs> with your headphones on do you like wearing your headphones I'm to make me feel important they're very they're very heavy <laughs> they're very heavy <laughs> right you're quite upbeat aren't you I try to be. You've got to talk beat, Paul. I try yeah. to be. I try to be. A bit, yeah. like, bit like John. A bit like John. But um, so we have to move on. Your most recent endeavour, obviously, has been the release of your fantastic documentary stroke, let's call it a road movie, even, Father Earth. I was lucky enough to see it a few months ago, and it's wonderful. Uh, it's extremely touching in places, obviously, your relationship with your dad. Um, so can you maybe tell us a little bit about the, the backstory of the documentary? How did it all come about initially? Um, I started making video recordings of myself in the dressing room mirror at, at theatres of me and me talking to John because mm. I was getting a bit bored uh, of this tour that I was doing a very long tour back in 2010. And I and I also taken possession of a couple of flip cameras, which were early high def cameras. Not, a, not as good as, as say, a mobile phone camera now, mm. but they were very good at the time. And um, at the same time, I bought this electric car, a, a, an early electric car called a G-Wiz, with a very short range, and I was living in London at the time. And um, I just suddenly got this idea to take drive that car up to Orkney, uh, maybe even with John Shuttleworth in tow. And that, and that eventually developed into me going up to Orkney with my dad. The reason for Orkney is because I'd bought an old church there, which needed doing up. Mm going to turn into a recording studio which i eventually did but the film is really about it's about me and me talking to john in the mirror uh, the guardian described that as a, a jekyll and hyde psychodrama which i think was a bit extreme um but they also described it as a buddy movie because about um a depressive comic with his traveling with his dad um and that essentially is what it is. I, I take my dad up to Orkney and, and we argue and we argue about battery eggs and um, my dad says, well, you know, I can't see the difference. And I said, um, I've never met a, a battery egg, a battery <laughs> egg, so I can't ask them if they don't like laying them. Stupid things like that. At the same time, there's my mate Kevin's in there, uh, who's a bit of an eco-sceptic. It's about environmental matters as well trying to save the world it doesn't really come to any great conclusions but as you say it's quite touching mm. uh, 
I've seen people with not not crying uncontrollably, but they're certainly they have moist eyes at the end of the film because there's my sons in it as well. Yeah, and, George. Uh, he's he's very good. He just plays himself, and I I watch him go off in his kayak, and it, it's about relationships essentially, I think, and about time passing because mm. it does span twelve years because there was a big gap in the middle. I stopped filming about 2012 as my, my dad passed away. Mm. And I only picked up the film during lockdown and then COVID hit and all that is documented in the film. So it's got a nice big sweep of time in there. And sweep, Sooty and Sweep. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Did you like Sooty and Sweep in I there? loved it. I loved it. A bit of a hark back to my childhood. They're still going, yeah. though, aren't they? They're still going. They strong, are still they? going, yeah. And there's supposed to be a Sooty and Sweet movie coming out. He's just waiting around for the money. I'll be there. And I said, Look, be you should be like me, just just make it for nothing. <laughs> but I guess most movies rely on a big budget, a big crew, to kind of look a certain way. My film looks the way it does because it costs threepence. Mm. Um, but, and I don't think it suffers because of that. It, no. Do you? No, it, definitely it, not. I think it, it, it makes it that more real. Do you know what I mean? You've not got, you know, it's not being direct directed in the least in the sense of the word. Um, so, I mean, how did you, how did you convince your dad to, to tag along? Was he just like, oh yeah, this, this sounds great. Let's go. <laughs> well, he's re- a retired man in his early eighties. He, he, he liked, he'd been up to Orkney before and he wanted to come up. Um, but he was starting to get a bit poorly, and that's mm. why I kind of wanted to capture him on camera before he got too ill. He had um, heart problems. Um, so taking him out on a rowing boat wasn't perhaps the best idea, <laughs> but he wasn't quite willing at the time. Um, yeah, and, and my sister, I've got three sisters, and they love the film, yeah. and it's largely because they've got all these shots of the dad um, so being his funny best. I mean, he is the comedy star of the of the film, People say, and I'd I'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah. No, I love the bits him him sitting in the caravan, sort of tinkering, tinkering with, with the, things with the wind turbine, mm. the little the solar powered wind turbine. <laughs> yeah, trying to change trying to change the speed of the of the sails. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah, I mean, uh, what what was his background? What? Uh, well, he, he trained. He he did physics at university, oh, and wow. then he got he got booted off the course because he was too interested in taking photographs of. Of young ladies, I think, um, and he kept missing his lectures. He became a photographer. Wow! Uh, but he was obsessed with angles, and that comes through in the film, doesn't he? So the angle where the sun is. He always yeah. wants to know where the sun is, and um, but yeah, very a fascinating man, and I miss him a lot. But mm. you know, as I say, I, I parked up the film in 2012 when he died. It was quite upsetting. Yeah, to look yeah. At it. When I went back to it in 2020 to finish the film, it was suddenly like, wow, I've got my dad back. You know, it, it, it was a completely different experience. It was um, just like having an old friend there. And and that's, you know, if nothing else, I've got a lovely family album. Mm. No, it's about giving yourself time to grieve as well, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. And then kind no, of come absolutely. back to it. It must have been a, an amazing. And to finish it, have it finished. And, you know, seeing audience reactions. You've been doing Q&As on your tour, tour in the UK last year. Yes, and and I've got a few in Still January. Still got a few to go. Yeah, I'm coming your way, but not quite your way. Do you know about that? I shall be there. I shall be there well, <laughs> in Belfast. <laughs> you can't laugh while you're saying the name of the venue I'm playing because people won't hear it. Or are you going to give that plug at the end? We'll give it a big plug. We'll, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm coming to Belfast, Black Box, mm-hmm. uh, 
And um, I'm also playing Liverpool. And then I'm playing Doncaster. <laughs> finish yeah. on a high. <laughs> well, I'm finishing on a high. Well, all my cousins, well, I've got a lot of cousins from Doncaster. Yeah, They're yeah, coming. yeah. You've got to finish in yeah. the north, haven't you? You know. Well, it. Yeah, and then, and then we're still putting the film out. If the cinemas want it, and a few already have taken it for like screenings in April, June, just standalone screenings, and that's really hopefully the mark of that it's become successful. Mm. Is if it can just go out in the cinema and, and people will just go and I don't have to go with it and do a Q&A. Yeah, I mean, you, you can get it on Vimeo. Is it on Vimeo at the moment? It's on Vimeo, yeah. If you, you go to fatherearthmovie.com, we're doing a streaming for a month for five ninety nine, and it's not one of those where you can only watch it once. You can watch it hundreds of times, Paula. Yeah, I'll, I'll be going to, I will be going to see it again. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see you are going to come to the Belfast one. Of course. I, I wouldn't right. miss it. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Oh, wow. Well, that's very kind of you. No problem um, at all. I know the black box. I've done gigs yeah. there. Yes, I saw you there actually a couple of years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. But I think they're putting it in a tiny little room. Right. But I think it only holds 25, I think. <laughs> nice and intimate anyway. <laughs> I don't think it's in the main arena. But anyway, it will it will be nice and intimate. And I always love going to Belfast. I do love that little bit of, uh, is it called the Cathedral Quarter? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Quite cool, isn't it? Very cool, very cool. Yeah. No, I loved, I loved your interaction. The interactions with John, uh, in particular, on the on Father Earth. It, it got, you know, John was kind of talking to you in the mirror, and the the, the cut in between the two. Yeah. No, I like it too. It I, of, I think it was lovely, but it was it was weird having you both there at the same time. Do you know? What I mean? Yeah, I got quite good at, uh, at switching between the two of us because I did a lot of those. I've yeah. Fifty of them and. Towards the end, it was almost like there's two men in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I watch it, I think, oh, my God, I am suddenly changing into John and suddenly changing back to me. Um, and it's a little bit, maybe that's what they mean by the Jekyll and Hyde psychodrama. It's a bit, yeah. they're in kind of... Jekyll and Hyde's a bit of a... <laughs> yeah, it's a bit strong. It's a bit strong. There's tension between... Yeah, yeah. You do wonder what John thinks of his of his creator, you know, seeing it from the other side. Yeah. No, well, uh, there's one scene, isn't there? I think I'm in Kendall where I clearly am angry with John. Mm. John says, Graham, give us a hug. And I say, get off, John. And he goes, you're right. Such a show of affection is un unbecoming. But I feel strangely drawn to you, Graham. I feel that my life is in your hands. And then the camera switches back to me and I say, yeah, it is. <laughs> And I'm looking very, very angry. Now, I've got no recollection of filming that, but I obviously did. And um, I think it's at a time when my dad was really ill and I was mm. resenting Jock for keeping me away yeah. from visiting him because I had this busy tour. Yeah. No, as I said, one of the, <laughs> in my opinion, one of the, the greatest comedy character creations of all time. So there you oh, go. bless so you. That's speaking as a, as a Count Arthur fan, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, Count Arthur. I love that uh, the episode you did with uh, with Count Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it worked well. Didn't that was it? a weird. That was another weird sort of it, looking it, at it different sent, reality. It sent, sent Graham Linehan over the edge. <laughs> um, we won't, it was go, down great that, we won't go down that road. <laughs> it was great to do. Great fun. I mean, bless them. They both approached me, um, Count Arthur, Stephen, uh, and um, Graham. We had dinner together. Yeah, no, lunch. Mm. Dinner lunch a business lunch and they were sort of trying to sell the idea to me you know 
I felt quite important. I was going, well, convince me, Lance, convince me. Because <laughs> I was basically entering Arthur's world. Yes. Yeah. So it was a concession on my part. I had to sort of pretend I was a someone who'd been in Count Arthur's world. In the Yeah. Um, and as far as John's concerned, Count Arthur is a pup. <laughs> I remember him sitting in the audience. And, <laughs> he used to sit in the audience of my shows in the 90s. But anyway, he's a he's a lovely fellow. It's a great character, and I think the interaction was brilliant. It worked well, and people keep writing to me saying, "When are you going to do more with Count Arthur?" <laughs> well, um, probably never, but you know, that'd be, be a nice. sitcom and a half, wouldn't it? The two of you together. Yeah, I'm not sure about sitcom, but I, I mean, <laughs> maybe a, a one-off. Maybe I'll put him in my next film. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. We're going to keep keep John for ourselves. So uh, we need to obviously we need to talk about music. So who have been the big music loves in your life? I know you touched on a few of them um, earlier. It's funny because I, I listen to um, Desert Island Discs, uh-huh. as many people do, and um, still waiting for my invite. But I, I can wait, you know. I'd like to be a, a mature guest on that. I'll start the petition tomorrow. But you do sense some of the guests are not really into music because some of the choices are dreadful, you know. Um <laughs> Music is amazing thing. The more I listen to it, the more I realise I know nothing about it. I can write a pretty tune. I can write a, a clever lyric. But some of the musicianship of some of the stuff that I hear is just... Mm. It's all... It's overwhelming. Um, I've been... I've started buying 10p records from my local charity shop. And there, it's sort of... A lot of it's quite early trad jazz or early blues. And, yeah, yeah. And I never really liked trad jazz, but I'm, maybe it's a sign of my age. I'm starting to appreciate it. <laughs> um, Cab, Cab Calloway, is it? Yeah, do you know him? He's famous. I don't know. But it's weird that as a songwriter, do you know what I mean, that you have no real interest in music? Well, no, I, I, I love all music. So I don't, I, I'm not a snob. I like the Nolan sisters. Yeah, yeah. I like, uh, not very much. But, but <laughs> as much you know, as anyone, I, I appreciate songs for their emotional power. You know, even like, um, let's say, what's the line of Ritual? Easy by. Oh, uh, yeah. Commod- uh, Commodores. Yeah. Yeah. Or just because um, I, I grew up in the 70s and I like a lot of rubbish pop uh, from that period. You know, Tavares. Yeah. So a lot of stuff um, that John likes. <laughs> but, well, indeed, indeed. But I also like. Miles Davis mm-hmm. and uh, John Coltrane and Johnny Hodges, clarinetist from mm-hmm. the 40s. So I, I don't like people saying, oh, you you know, you really like this or that. I like folk. I, Liza McCarthy, what an amazing mm, violinist. Incredible. And a great singer. Um, Chris Wood, who's on my film, Father Earth, amazing folk musician. So any music works for me, if it if it if the music if it's sort of got something that is sincere, I suppose, or even if it's insincere, that it will interest me as well. Mm. As long as it's very insincere, <laughs> like I could do. <laughs> that's classic. Because that's not very sincere. That is cynical, <laughs> horrible music. Well, anything by Black Lace, I suppose, is. <laughs> um, I quite like Jimmy Nail. <laughs> 
was like, ain't no doubt. Slide. Yeah. Slide. <laughs> so I'm just thinking of things that are popping in my head now. But but no, I am a music fan. I mean, I am a music fan. Anyway, look, um, no, I'm very you know, a bit distrustful of people. That's, you say to people, oh, do you like music? And people are like, oh, no, not really. I, no, I don't really like it. And you're like, oh. What, I what? think it's just, it's just kind of, um, what do you hear someone say? Oh, last year was a was a great time. It was a great year for creativity. This is a woman on Radio Three, <laughs> and I said, oh, I, I didn't say anything. I just thought, <laughs> what a stupid thing to say, especially on Radio Three. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think you know, I'm quite I'm creative. Everyone's creativity is a wonderful thing, but sometimes people need to rein it in. Indeed, and I include myself in that. I've probably written far too many songs, no. but I'll I'll still write them. That's it. Keep keep on keeping on. <laughs> it's just as you get older, you realise you know what's rubbish, and when when you're eighteen and you, you just got that confidence, you know. So if I wrote Jilted John now, I'd probably keep it to myself. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but there's so so much love for John Shuttleworth. You know, I hope he he never. You know, never ceases on his, well, thank his you, endeavors. Paula. I'm sure he will be back. He will be back. Um, and uh, yeah, please, uh, if you want to come and see Father Earth at any of those venues, I'll, I'll be very happy to say hello yes, afterwards. I, I, will, I will see you in Belfast. So thank you so, so much for chatting with me today, Graham. It's been an absolute pleasure. It has. 